that freedom is not always free and that emancipation can be expensive. And that sometimes when we pass through the gateways and the doorways of our choices, we take a chance that we'll have to suffer. No matter how compassionate the motivation is, as we struggle to create a place called home for ourselves. Will you pray with me? Reconciling and liberating God. Be with us now as we spend a few moments in the Word. May the message you have inspired for today lead us out of the places of fear, procrastination, doubt, self-sabotage, and false humility. And to all that you have created us to be in and to this world, may we find a place to call home in you, in ourselves, in our community of faith, and in our relationship with others. I ask this in the name of all that is holy. Amen. Well, when I read the text for today, the sense of home came to mind immediately. Now, I know you're asking yourself, how in the world did she get to home? When she's talking about a father and son team that murdered over 20 baby boys, similar to what happened in Sandy Hook, a trip from Bethlehem to Egypt to Nazareth by the Holy Family of Joseph, Mary, and little baby Jesus. Well, for me, it's actually easy. Because as I read the text, what I saw was that no matter what, this little threesome stayed together, protected and supported each other. Now when I say home, I'm not talking about June Cleaver or Norman Rockwell or the Huxtables. I'm, I'm talking about the type of home that most of us probably grew up in, you know, messy, <laughs> loud, transient, convoluted, and occasionally dysfunctional. Yet, it was a place in which you and I started to become who we are yet evolving to be. It felt, I felt in the text a sense of grounding, of centeredness, of refuge, of sanctuary. I sensed family. I sensed home. Now, I want to pause here just for a moment because I know that there are those who didn't even have the occasionally dysfunctional family kind of support. And I know that there are those of us who didn't find home until after we left that place in which we were born. And I know that there are also those in this room who have yet to find home. But I ask that you stick with me through the end of the sermon. So as I reread the text, the image of a tiny little baby boy who was different arose. He was different than other boys, but he didn't know he was different. But his parents did. 
And there were others who also knew that he was different. There were those who were far off watchers who celebrated his difference. And there were shepherds who didn't know quite what to do with the angelic fanfare or this tiny little baby. And there were also others who wanted this baby dead. Because his sheer existence caused them to question their own identity, their own destiny. I see a little baby boy loved by a protective and grace-filled mother who was willing to risk her life to bring him into the world. I see a steadfast and courageous father who was willing to give it up everything that he had to try to protect his special little guy, even though he didn't really know what to do with him. I see parents who are open to hearing from and willing to follow God's lead, to be a home for each other and their special little boy. Because this different little boy would grow up into his true self and fulfill his destiny of offering home to the entire world. Amen. Then I was pulled forward to today and I, and I pondered how different and unique people are injured and even killed by the Herods, the systems that we have in place today. I thought about those special souls that are damaged by being to, told to fit in and act normal as if how they behave is not normal for who they are. How often are they inhibited from living fully as their true selves and fulfilling their own destiny? I thought about the little ones with difficulty learning, who are picked on and called hateful, ugly names, sometimes even within their own families, as they struggle to live with dyslexia or autism or being gifted and talented. I think about kids who have eating challenges, from obesity to anorexia, who are told to eat their, everything on their overloaded plate and then ask, why are you so fat? Or not being asked, why are you so thin? I think about children of color who have lived in integrated environments their entire life, whose extended families say to them, you are an Oreo. You are a banana. Because you don't act, you don't talk like you're black enough, or you're Hispanic enough, or you're Asian enough. I think of older adults who have raised their children, been productive citizens, fought in our wars, and championed our struggles, who are just a little past their prime, who are being discarded and ignored, although they are resources of immeasurable worth. I think about young adults 
who are ready to take their place at the table, who are ignored, are denied access, like, wait, it's not quite your time, or we'll get to you soon, I promise. And I think about our elderly, who in order to be safe and assisted living, have to pretend to be who they are not. I think of our transgender kids who are told, you need to decide to be a guy or a girl, as if gender identity and gender expression is binary. Or our bisexual siblings who are told, make up your mind, as if who they are attracted to or who they can love can be turned on and off at will. And I think about those without a permanent address. Or those who actually have a permanent address, who are looking for a connection in a spiritual community and can't find a place to connect. And my heart and my soul cry for these individuals, for these beautiful, unique individuals who are made in the very image and likeness of God. Where can they find home today? And what brings me hope and a measure of peace is that I believe that we, resurrection, can be a place where all of these people and many more can call home. But the question for us is, are we willing as a people of faith, as disciples of the one who came to provide home for the world, are we willing to open our doors, to open our hearts, to open our wallets, to open our souls to provide home to these unique individuals? Are we willing to be Jesus, to be and offer home to those in need? I ask, are we willing? Because it will take soul work on our part to be ready. Timothy Keller says in The Prodigal God, and I'm going to read this because I want to make sure I get it accurate, that every time Jesus encountered a religious person and an outcast, or a religious person and a person on the margins of society, it was always the outcast and the marginalized who are attracted to the message of Jesus. He says, our churches today do not have this kind of effect. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted are not attracted to contemporary churches. The licentious and the liberated or the broken and marginal avoid church. That can mean only one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. And how I translate that for us is that we've got love, but are we willing to live it? Are we willing 
to offer it? Are we willing to step into it in order to attract those who so desperately need it? Because when I think of home, I think of hearts open to the marginalized and elderly. Webster's Dictionary says, a home is a place where one lives, a place together with family or a social unit, an environment offering security, a refuge, a place where something is discovered, found, developed, or promoted, a starting place, and an institution where people are offered professional care and support. This definition, I believe, in many ways already is resurrection. But if we decide that we want to fully live into our mission to demonstrate God's unconditional love to all people through Christian action, some of the soul work practices that we can begin now to incorporate in order to become attractive to the kinds of outsiders that Jesus attracted are simple things, like petitioning school boards about bullying and creating safe space for children to learn. We can support gay and straight alliances. We can go through the process of becoming mentors to children who desperately need us. We can partner in community gardens, food co-ops, and begin offering nutrition classes and support groups for those suffering from eating disorders. We can, in partnership with parenting organizations, offer parenting classes to teach the warning signs of suicide and homicide so that parents can intervene before these things happen. We can partner with organizations like SPRY and address the physical and psychological safety needed for our elderly as they move into assisted living. We can create assisted living of our own. We can change our binary language of male and female and expand our understanding of gender identity and gender expression, as well as attraction and love. And we can begin the soul work that will be needed to become truly inclusive so that our message and our ministry began to attract those who are drawn to the ministry of Jesus. And how we can do that is learning to share power and authority. Becoming comfortable with two truths can be equally valid. Releasing the need for assimilation and moving beyond tolerance into true acceptance of each individual image of God, just as they are created. To create home for the beautiful, unique soul's need, it may be messy. It may be convoluted. It may be transient and a little dysfunctional but it is the work that a little boy who was different himself began 2,000 plus years ago when he came into the world to be home to each of us. 
I ask us, as we prepare to go into 2014, are we willing to become homes, hearts open to the marginalized and the elderly, and to those of us who have yet to find home? My prayer is that resurrection can become a home to you. Amen. Thank you.